0: Thank you Jason and worship team This morning Well we're glad to see a few bodies here And uh, they've joined us as we're getting prepared For opening up next week And we're glad you're here Some of you physically We're thankful for the millions that are tuning in on Facebook And uh, we're looking forward to a great time today Looking at the word of the Lord And giving us some direction and preparation for next week I trust Let me ask you to turn to the book of Ezra That may take a minute, right? The book of Ezra. If you have an alphabetical Bible, it's right after the book of Ephesians. It's about the best help I can give you. It's in the Old Testament, more toward the front half than the back half. You'll find it next to Nehemiah. And we're going to look at this book. And I think this is the first time I can remember preaching from this book and pulling out a passage today, particularly that I think is going to be appropriate for where we are as a church and as a congregation and uh, moving forward and looking especially toward next week so i i bring bring us today to this moment in time anticipating what next sunday will be like next weekend as we open up our doors to the community and begin to promote that uh, gospel baptist is back at it in house and we're thankful for that opportunity ezra chapter 7 a little background is necessary. You just don't jump into Ezra without knowing something about where you're at in the scheme of the what the Bible teaches. So let's back up a little bit before Ezra and set the stage. Of course, we know the story of the exodus of the um, Hebrew people out of Egypt, recorded for us in the book of Exodus. They find their way to the promised land eventually. Joshua leads them into the promised land. Then following Joshua, there's this period of about... Several hundred years of the time of the Judges, and the Book of the Judges records that, there's 13 Judges. After the period of the Judges, the nation calls for a king, and so Saul is anointed to be the first king of Israel. He, of course, is followed by David, who is followed by his son Solomon. And in the continuation of that thought, Solomon's son, Rehoboam, would have been the next king However, there was political unrest and strife in Israel, so much so that the 12 tribes split into a northern and a southern kingdom. The northern kingdom was 10 tribes, and they would be ruled by one of Solomon's associates, a man named Jeroboam. The southern kingdom was first ruled by Solomon's son, Rehoboam. And these two kingdoms... Jewish and their heritage, sharing the same history of that exodus and the promised land and all of those backgrounds, sharing that, uh, were, were certainly rivals with each other. There's a lot of political intrigue and, and alliances that are created with surrounding nations, and it's, it's, it's a big chunk of the history of the Old Testament there in Kings and Chronicles. Both nations, both of those kingdoms would drift into idolatry. They begin to forget about their past, to ignore God's commandments, to put aside their understanding and the teaching that had been so essential, great word, right? So essential for them and their identity as the people of God. King after king after king after king. Decades would roll, centuries would roll. And yet, God sent a voice. It would be the voices of the prophets. So when you read the Old Testament prophets, that's what you're reading. These prophets were sent to bring the message to the king, to the leaders, to the people. Turn back. God wants to bless you. God wants to lead you. You are his people. And yet, it was with a deaf ear that they received that message. The northern kingdom never had a king that... Heeded that call back to God To try and draw the nation back And God sent judgment The prophets came with that message And God eventually did send judgment And the northern king, the, the kingdom Those ten tribes were captured Were overrun by the Assyrian nation We would know them today as Assyri- as the Syrians And the Assyrians came down And massively invaded took the people away captive. They would be lost in history. We know them today as the 10 Lost Tribes of Israel. Judgment eventually would come to the southern kingdom, but do you see in their lineage, there were some good kings along the way. We we enjoy studying them and what they did to bring revival to their lands, but it was a very short-lived existence at best. A king would come along and follow after the Lord and, and proclaim we're going to be what God intended us to be, but that would not last very long. And after that king died, the next king would come along and and just reverse everything. So the southern kingdom knew a little longer existence because of that call back in response to the prophets. Nonetheless, they too would find themselves called in idolatry, and in so doing, judgment would come to them. Their judgment would come through the Babylonian Empire and a king named Nebuchadnezzar. His kingdom would come in, and much like Assyria had done to the northern kingdom, the Babylonians came into the southern kingdom, took away unhold numbers of captives back to their kingdom, robbed and looted. They raided the temple, took all the gold vessels and, and everything they could get, really just tore everything apart, came back to Babylon. We know that account from the story of the Old Testament, Daniel, When you read Daniel, you're reading the very beginning of that captivity experience. And, of course, Daniel and his friends we often read about, Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah. We tend to know them more as Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. They all come to the Babylonian captivity. Jeremiah had prophesied that this captivity would happen and it would last 70 years. And in the end of that 70 years, much has happened. The Babylonian kingdom, which we would know today as Iraq, that's their heritage, had been overtaken by the Persian kingdom. The Persian kingdom we know today as Iran. So the Iranian kingdom, led by their king Cyrus, invaded, uh, and it's recorded for us in Daniel, last part of Daniel invaded in such a very unique way and they overthrew the babylonians and now the persians are the primary kingdom ruling in that region of the world and over a period of time god began to work in the hearts to fulfill his word the prophet had already said 70 years so god began to work in the hearts of the kings of the persian empire and as a result of that permission was granted Goods were provided, wealth was given, letters of permission were received, and the Jews started a mass exodus back to Jerusalem to rebuild the city and to reestablish themselves in the heritage which they had. This, this movement back, the restoration as we might we call it, was a multi-year, multi-decade experience. The Bible records for us three primary movements of the Jews from Babylon, and the babylon I mean from the Persian Empire, back to Jerusalem. The first of those is recorded for us in the first part of the book of Ezra, chapters 1 through 6. When you get to chapter 7, you're sort of fast-forwarding through history to a second movement that was led by Ezra. The first movement was led by a man named Zerubbabel, and Jeshua was the priest at the time. The second movement of people that came was led by Ezra. That's where we start and where we're at today in Ezra chapter 7. The third movement happened in the time of Nehemiah. Now, in the scriptures, Ezra and Nehemiah go together. In the Hebrew scriptures, the way the Old Testament is recorded there, In the Hebrew scriptures, Ezra and Nehemiah are really one book. And Ezra is the name, and there's three parts, and we have separated, we being the Christian world, about the fourth century, separated those two books. And so we read them separately, but they really do run in um, sequence to each other. So all that being said, that's where we're at. The Jews are making their move back to Jerusalem. I hope it won't be hard today to think about The parallel I want to draw from what's happening here in the Scripture to what's happening here in our church. The parallel is this. The people were away, but now they've come back. That's where we are. Preparations have been made. Plans have been set. Dates have been settled upon. And next weekend, we open up our church again to come back. And in the process of doing that, I want to draw from a very few verses here some important things that I believe the Scripture will give to us to help us as we prepare for returning. The theme of the entire book of Ezra is a theme of restoration, restoring what was, adjusting to the new, accommodating what has to be done, but all of it under the shadow of the truth of God's Word. And I want to take that big image of history from Ezra and bring it down to us. Because I want us as a congregation this week to anticipate what next week will be. But whatever next weekend is when we open up, I do not want it to be, hey, church is open. Let's go see our friends at church. Let's go enjoy the music and worship. Let's go lift our hearts before the Lord without preparing ourselves going into that. Because I believe the opening of the doors next week will be a unique opportunity that the Lord has placed around us to be able to reach families who through these last many months have now got a different spiritual sensitivity than they once had. They've known isolation maybe like they've not known before. They've known despair, discouragement, maybe even depression. They're looking for answers as to what all this buzz and world is about. Don't look to the news media for that answer. Don't look to the internet for that answer. Look to God's Word for that answer. And I anticipate the Lord is willing and wanting us to be a lighthouse to this community in such a unique time. And I want us to draw from Ezra these few verses here, some truths that will help us. And I want to give you four points from this. So if you're with me in Ezra chapter 7, if you've turned there or tapped there, look with me in Ezra chapter 7. At the very first verse, we're introduced to Ezra. And we find out that Ezra, through the verses, the end of verse 1 down through verse 5, is, you'll see the phrase son of a lot there. It's a reference to his heritage. Ezra was the 16th descendant of Aaron. Aaron was the first high priest of Israel. He was the brother of Moses. And so Ezra is introduced to us. Notice In that lineage, we then get, or in that passage, we then get down to verse 6, which is where I want to start today, and we're given a little more detail about Ezra. Verse 6, this Ezra, this Ezra who has this 16-generation connection back to Moses and Aaron, went up from Babylon, right? He's leaving leaving Babylon, the, the, the Persian Empire, and he was a ready scribe in the law of Moses. I like this image of Ezra embracing the Torah, the law of Moses, which is what he would have had as his word of God. It's the Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, Deuteronomy portion of our Bible. And in embracing that scripture, that outward expression by the artist here is intended to represent the inward heart of Ezra. He was a ready scribe. He had studied the Torah. He knew what the commandments were. He knew the history. He knew the promises. And he knew the potential of what God's Word could do for the people of Israel as they came back. Let's continue in verse 6. This Ezra went up from Babylon, and he was a ready scribe of the law of Moses, which the Lord God of Israel had given you know, we, we would say the same thing I think Ezra would say. We hold in our hand God's written revelation. This written revelation is what he was holding on to in the Torah. We encapsulate that in many other books as part of the written word of God. God had given, and God has given. And the king granted him all his requests, you see the political, we won't dwell much on this, but it's, it's worth mentioning there's a political element to this move. God wasn't just working in the Israelites to start a revival. He was working in the king's heart. Now, let's think about this king for a moment. This is a Persian king. This is an Iranian king, we would say today. God was working in his heart because God was going to fulfill his, prophets, his prophecy and his promise. The king granted him all his requests, Ezra's request, according to the hand of the Lord his God upon him. We're going to see a similar phrase a couple of verses down. The scripture gives evidence that God was in this from the very beginning. And the phrase that's translated for us, God's hand was upon him, is just a way for us to get an image of the fact that God was directing and leading. He was working in the hearts of his people. But he was also working in the heart of a pagan king. Isn't it wonderful what God can do? When we least expect it, when we least anticipate, sometimes when we have the least faith, God is still working. And in the process of this king, and there are several kings through this system. Remember, this movement back takes a few decades. King Cyrus comes in first, there's a King Darius, there's a King Xerxes, there's a, there's a, a Darius II, there's an Artaxerxes, which you're going to see as the king at the present time. God was working in the necessary elements to put all of this together. So there's verse 6. Let's get verse 7. It's some detail that we don't necessarily need to spend time with other than this. notice it, it mentions that king, Artaxerxes. Let's go down to verse 8. And he, Ezra came to Jerusalem in the fifth month, which was in the seventh year of the king. In other words, the seventh year of the king's reign. We're told a little more detail with that and beyond that in verse 9. For upon the first day of the first month began he, Ezra, to go up from Babylon. And the going up there is is literally a physical climb, climbing up mountains. And on the first day of the fifth month, he came to Jerusalem according, here's that phrase again, This time expanded a little more, according to the good hand of his God upon him. What a great phrase that is from the scripture. What a great testimony it is of Ezra. The scripture recognizes God's good hand was upon him. This is a trip of about 900 miles. So here's your project for the week figure out what it would be to walk 900 miles. Maybe pulling some animals, I'm sure, maybe a cart. You've got all your belongings, but you've got to walk. It's almost hard in our culture to think about that, isn't it, to walk 900 miles. I did a little math behind it and figured out that assuming in this time frame, Ezra, as I think he would, would not have traveled on the Sabbath because he's following God's commands, that he could, if he could cover about 10 miles a day in mountainous terrain, he could make this trip. And indeed, the testimony is he had good travels because God's good good hand was upon him. Now, let's do a little bit. That's the distance part of the equation. Let's talk a little bit about the time part of the equation. It tells us here that Ezra left on the first day of the first month. Now, that's in their calendar. He didn't leave on January 1st. That's our calendar. He left on the first day of the first month in their calendar and... He arrives the first day of the fifth month. So follow along with me. First month, second month, third month, fourth month, fifth month, first day. A journey of more than four months were involved in getting him to Jerusalem. I found it interesting when I started to think about our situation, the last time we were here in church was a little more than four months ago. And I wonder what our journey has been like to get here. Where has God led us? What have we been experiencing to get us here? I submit to you, Ezra had his journey, and we've had ours. And it's time for us to be received back into the Lord's house as a congregation. The real place I wanna park for a few moments though is in verse 10. Ezra entering Jerusalem Here's the testimony of scripture Ezra had prepared His heart in verse 10 To seek the law Of the Lord and to do it And to teach in Israel statutes And judgments I'm going to park there for a few moments Pull some of the truths out of this Verse I think are appropriate for us And I want to pull four truths out As we Anticipate next week Our journey of being away is about to come to a time when we can return. And I think the very same evidence of what the scripture tells us about Ezra should very much be driving our thinking, our anticipation, our prayers for the week ahead. It tells us in first in verse 10, for Ezra had prepared his heart. It doesn't mean he was doing more calisthenics and doing cardio workouts, right? It has to do with the internal part. It speaks to the the invisible part of us, to the soul, to the spirit, to the mental capacity. Ezra had anticipated this journey. And I'm sure his first glimpse of Jerusalem was to stand and pause for a moment. This was God's work. This was God's time. This was God's good hand. And now he paused. Let me submit to you, the first time you'll drive into this parking lot, and for some of you this has already been true. The first time you'll drive into this parking lot, I submit you'll get out of your car and pause for a moment. May it not be the same look at this church that you've had before. May it be a recognition of God's good hand. May it be an acknowledgement of what God is doing beyond our control and beyond our understanding. Ezra prepared his heart. I want to emphasize, I see in this the importance of what it's going to mean to be back at church. It was important that they went back to Jerusalem because that's where their heritage was. That's where Saul had established the kingdom, where David had stepped in and, and raised the kingdom to its greatest known existence at that point. Solomon took the reins and God blessed him and Israel became a golden city to influence the region and establish much of what God would eventually do in the time period of history to bring the Messiah to us. The importance could not be overlooked. And Ezra knew he had to prepare himself. Let me challenge all of us this week. Let's prepare ourselves for next week. Let's anticipate that God's going to do something. And I don't think it'll all happen in one week. I think next week is just the beginning of the process. The renewal here did not happen in one day or hardly one year and hardly one decade. It happened over time. And we need to anticipate the same work that God will do by preparing ourselves. May this be a week when we anticipate that the God's going to do something and Lord prepare my heart. Whatever that means. Maybe our prayers are, are more directed toward what this reopening is going to direct. I hope it will be. Maybe our prayers is directed to our community where so many families have been struggling and challenged through these difficult times. And we can present to them the truth of God's word where they can hear answers to questions they are asking, where they can find solace in the midst of the storm, where they can find salvation to deliver them from the sin. May it be true that our church congregation prepares our heart because it's important The opening of a church, a term that we would not have used six months ago, is essential. And getting back into the church allows us an opportunity to realize just how important it is. And so I hope we'll anticipate this week with that thought in mind. Look at what it says he prepared his heart to do. He prepared his heart to seek the law of the Lord. I want to use here in our outline the word investigation. You see, Ezra did more than caress the scriptures. He opened them up. He read. It was very common for scribes particularly to memorize. He found a way for the truth of God to crawl through every part of his being. The way he thought and the attitude he had, the words he spoke, the recognition of who God is, were all a result of his intent to seek, to investigate. It reminds me of just how valuable it is for us to say we hold God's Word. We hold God's Word in our language. There are still multiplied tens of thousands, yea, hundreds of thousands of people today who cannot say that they have a scripture in their own language. And yet we do. Do we investigate it? Are we getting into it? Are we learning it? Are we memorizing it? Are we allowing it to permeate every part of our being? Ezra was was such a desire of his heart. To seek the law of the Lord. Some of the more modern translations use the word study. We all know what studying implies. It implies some some time. To read, to think, to meditate, to concentrate. To let it find its way into ourselves. We live in a very blessed time. Not Not only do we have God's word to read it, we have the technology to be able to hear it. I hope on whatever device you carry around with you most, you have a t- the text of a Bible that you can read, but I also hope you have an audible Bible. I enjoy doing that. I just like hearing it. We're a generation that's so used to seeing, we've almost lost sometimes the skill of hearing. We can turn on radio stations, internet stations across the world and find wonderful, doctrinally sound Bible teaching. We can engage God's word with hardly doing much more than clicking on a mouse on our computer a time or two, turning on a radio, tapping something on our device. There's no reason we shouldn't engage God's word regularly and allow it to come into our hearts in a whole new way. The investigation. Ezra, I believe, in seeking the law of the Lord, sought that intent of an investigation. Not only did he seek the law of the Lord, to study it and its statutes and its commandments and its ordinances and its judgments. Not only did he seek to study them, he also sought, the scripture says here, to do them. To do what? To do the law of the Lord. He wanted to exercise his faith. And for a Jew, at that time particularly, and as you you read the greater book of Ezra and Nehemiah 2, they got back to the Jewish calendar where they recognized Passover it's one of the first things they do they recognize Passover you'll see the festival of booths mentioned one of the Jewish festivals that's established in Leviticus they establish uh, the new year Rosh Hashanah and the day of atonement Yom Kippur they reestablished all that in their thinking as a people they did that But it's so much more than that. They were seeking to honor the Lord with their life. They were seeking to follow his commandments and directives. I trust it'll be important for us. Here's my word, impact. If we allow God's word to do more than just permeate in our head, I can quote a few verses, I can make a couple of references. If we allow it to get into our heart, you know what will, by, by the truth of Scripture happen, it will start to impact how we live. The things we say, the words we speak, and the attitudes we have, and our expressions, it's, it's just as sure as watering a plant brings nourishment. And life-giving sustenance to that plant is true of the Word of God. If we allow it to come into our hearts, It will nurture us in a way that nothing else can. To do the law, I think for Ezra meant to, and for us too, to apply it, to practice it, to obey it, to observe it, to try and live it out. Very simply said, impact. But he's not done there, the scripture says. He also intended to teach in Israel the statutes and judgments. The word I want to use here is influence. Influence is the idea of directing someone else. Of course, having an impact on their life, influencing them, being a role model, being a mentor. Well, there's so many great words. We tend to call them parents and grandparents, Sunday school teachers, coaches, teachers, friends, family, influencers. Ezra's intent was to go to the people of Israel and to influence them by his teaching, by his life, by his activity, to influence them toward the truths of God, that they as a people might be grounded in what God's Word taught. And in that position, be able to flourish, to know the joy of serving the Lord, to know the joy of raising a strong family. To know the application of life in the workplace and in the school and in the community and the marketplace of what it means to be a Christian, a follower of God. I think the application is so evident to us. Now again, my, my purpose of this, while there are obviously some great truths here, my purpose is for us to really focus in on next week. What will we do? These are great truths for living in life beyond next week, for sure. But I want us to think about how we'll use these four things and these thoughts from Ezra to prepare us for next week. This week, I think, we'll have the opportunity. We'll have the, the time and the place and the conversations that will allow us to learn the lessons of Ezra, to focus on what's important The priority of our faith, the priority of family, the priority of church, the priority of the scriptures, the priority of the gospel. We'll have an opportunity for the investigation, the seeking. When will we open God's word? When will we spend time before the Lord? When will we allow his truth to permeate our lives, to look deeper so that we can live greater? How will we look to do, to impact? Certainly there are jobs to do in the work of the ministry, in the spread of the gospel. It is not the job of just the church staff. It is the job of every disciple, every follower of Christ to find what needs to be done not only do we have jobs that have always been around, but we now we have new jobs. I don't know about y'all, but I've been to church a lot of my life and I have yet to have any concern about anybody's body temperature. But all of a sudden now it's the most important thing we have to do before you walk in the door. That's a new job and somebody's got to point that thing and squeeze the trigger. New jobs of helping to seat people, new jobs of helping to escort and just make sure things run smooth. And we have been so excited to see so many volunteers. People say, count me in. Just tell me what to do and where it need to be, and I'm glad to do it. What a, what a great testimony that is to the heart of this congregation. And we're very thankful for that. But now there's new jobs and new opportunities of things to do. And what about influence? How will you influence someone this week For the cause of the gospel. For the sound of the truth. How will you influence? How will you and I find an opportunity? How do we share our faith? Live out the call of scripture to gentleness, meekness, kindness, temperance. Those things are so easy to say and sometimes so hard to do, aren't they? How will we be a witness? How will we be a witness? How will we be a testimony to those around us? And I remind you again, because it's so much of our culture today, let's just talk about the conversation at the grocery store, at the bank counter, to the coworker on your Zoom call, right? Let's talk about the opportunity to use your social media to spread the word. How many thousands of people could get an invitation directly this week from someone at our church if we just simply put it on our social media? Hey, Gospel Baptist is open. You want to come outside? As long as it's not raining. Then come on Saturday night. We had a wonderful time here last evening. It wasn't outside, by the way. You want to come inside? After all, you're probably going to the grocery store and the drugstore. You're probably going into the bank and a few other places. Then feel free to come on. And here's what I submit to you. We have a tighter screening process than most places you'll walk into today. So you can feel safe. What will we do this week to influence? Let's be like Ezra. Let our return next week find us ready and seeking to know God's word, to live God's way, and to share God's truth. And so I'm challenging all of us Let these next few days that we know will pass quickly be days where we consecrate and commit ourselves to what this opening can be to us and to our community. Because I believe we all look to have the same word said of this event as the scripture says about Ezra. God's good hand was upon him. And that's our desire we'll think about those things this week and I trust the Lord will use them in a way to bring honor to his name and will give us an opportunity starting next week to see some great things as a part of our reopening. Let's pray and Pastor Jason is going to come and go over some announcements and some prayer requests with you. Father today thank you for this event recorded for us in this ancient book of Ezra. It tells us of a people who returned And although it's not as big and as broad and historically important, we are a people about to return. Help us have the same heart, the same desire, the same commitment that Ezra did, that we might see your good hand of blessing upon our church and our reopening. And may the gospel go forth to impact hearts and homes, to, to bring about the new birth We pray for that great work of the Holy Spirit and the truth of your word as it's preached and taught from this church and its ministries and from this pulpit. In Christ's name we pray. Amen.